Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence that's here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. And uh, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would lead me to, uh, to minister your word this morning, that people here would leave blessed, that they would leave changed. So let's all pray this out loud together. Let's say, Heavenly Father, I ask you right now to touch my mind, to touch my heart, to make me your ambassador, that my life would be less of me and more of you. Change me to become more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give you guys four points this morning to help you with telling yourself the truth. A lot of times with when we talk about grace and works and righteousness and faith and mercy, they become kind of all kind of clouded up into kind of one big inconsistent ball. And a lot of times we can get those things kind of confused. And so we end up telling ourselves things that really aren't true. I'll give you these four points. There's no, there's no alliteration this morning. I'm not worthy, uh, Pastor James, of, of alliteration. I don't have the gift that you do. But, uh, but a lot of times we have things where we can get these things mixed up. We end up not telling ourselves the truth. We end up believing something that, um, that where the, 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 either the enemy or just something that you've been taught is just a little bit twisted that could lead you feeling like you aren't good enough and that we aren't worthy enough. One of the reasons why I like talking about these things is because I'm always working on these things in my life. I feel like for most situations, um, it might take me a day or so to kind of work through some emotions, but I feel like a lot of times when I have to trust God and have faith for something big, I feel like it might, like I said, it, it might take me a few minutes. It might take me a couple of days, but I feel like I can get there. But part of the things that helps me to get there is because I feel like I'm always noticing these things in my life. I'm always noticing. And there's times that, um, um, you know, and when you when you minister the word of God, if you're leading a Bible study, you're leading worship. To me, it's always it's always a time that I feel really humbled. Um, I'm glad that no matter if I'm speaking here or if I'm speaking outside of the church or doing something, um, I've had been blessed over the years to be able to speak at conferences where there's thousands of people, but it doesn't matter if I'm speaking to five or six people or to five or 6,000, I always feel a little bit nervous. And you know, I'm glad that I feel a little bit nervous because it keeps me humble. And I know that I have to really rely on God. But I want to walk you through uh, some scriptures this morning and just talk about these things, about how to tell yourself the truth when it comes to grace, righteousness, works, and holiness. So let's look at our first scripture verse this morning in Genesis. If you want, you can pull out your Bible or your phone, uh, your paper Bible or your electronic one. And um, while you're doing that, I just want to, I'm going to give a, um, a, a plug for a new movie that's out. Susan and I went to see the movie, I Can Only Imagine. How many of you guys have heard of the song? The Christian song. You guys, you may hear not heard of that. I just we found out in the movie it's the it's been the most played and the biggest selling gospel song in history, which was crazy. But uh, Susan and I went to see the movie on Friday. You know, there's a I love for some of you guys that know me. I love going to movies. I'm pretty picky about what I see, but I love going to movies. And Susan and I have just talked about recently um, about how it just seems like on TV shows and all these different things. It just feels like 
they're bashing Christianity or Susan was telling me about a show that she used to watch until recently where the pat, you know, the Christian looks like the big horrible person and they're the bad guy and they're, they're, you know, they're loopy, they're crazy. But, but I feel like, and so Susan and I've talked about this with some of these, what we would call, you know, faith-based films is, man, we need to go out and we need to go out and support them and support them with our money. I would encourage you guys to see the movie. The movie is phenomenal. Um, I heard that this weekend they were, predicted to make like six million it might make 15 million but i and i read online that people were going to see the movie and it was sold out everywhere we went to a seven o'clock show it was sold out so we went at eight but anyway i just want to encourage you guys man go go see that it's a it's a great great message and it is not uh it's just not a hokey um faith-based me- uh, message or movie it's really good but anyway so let's look at genesis chapter two and it says here and i know this this will be familiar, familiar verses to you guys and the lord god formed a man's body from the dust of the ground and he breathed into it um the breath of life and the man became a living person then the lord planted in uh, um, a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had created. Look at the next verses here. And the Lord planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit at the center of the garden. He placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I know this is something that you guys are, that you guys are familiar with, but one of the things that we hear all the time and something I just really kind of heard somebody start talking about this maybe five or six years ago, is that we know that this is when evil was really introduced to the world. I like telling people that um, when they're struggling with something, I've told you guys, I've shared this at the, at, um, <clears throat> here before, my, my first wife after 25 years passed away, my daughter uh, in January last year, we found out she had stage four breast cancer, and the thing that I would tell myself all the time, and I told my kids when their mom passed away, and I told Haley and my kids when we found out she had cancer, is I said, you know what, I this reminds me of this verse because I would tell them all the time and bring peace, peace to me because God never intended it to be like this. God never intended us to die. He never intended for us to get sick. And that brings peace to me, knowing, knowing God's truth. And I, have to, I remind myself of that all the time when I go through struggles and things are happening, that I know that there's things of the world. Some of the things we know that we have an enemy that will, he's, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. He will accuse us. He will twist truth. He will, he will steal from you if you give him, an, uh, give him an opportunity. But also, we're just dealing with a lot of stuff. That's just that. That's just sickness and sin and problems that the world has. When Susan and I were talking recently about <clears throat> the stuff with movies and TV and all this stuff that Hollywood, the culture is preaching on us, pushing on us, I told her, I said, you know, I don't know if this is really, really, truly the way it is, but I've heard a, a preacher that I that I know and I really that I really like is talking about how it's like this is like the spirit of the Antichrist that we're living in with all the stuff that's being pushed at us. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, that things that are, we know is right will be considered wrong and things that we that, that are, that we know are wrong. People will then see as right. And, and it came from this time. It came from sin of man, but it also came because this is when there was a knowledge of evil that came into the world. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they knew evil evil, but they also had a knowledge of good. And you hardly ever really hear people talk about that. But what does that really mean? Let me show you what it means. Let's go to, um, 
Um, Genesis chapter 3, and it says this, At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Look at the next part. Toward the evening they heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees, and the Lord called to, to Adam, Where are you? What happened when Adam and Eve got this knowledge of good and evil, which they were never supposed to have or have that or have this knowledge, they knew that there were they had done something wrong, and then they tried to fix it. They covered themselves up, they covered themselves up with leaves, and then they ended up covering themselves up, and they saw their nakedness for the first time. They covered themselves up with leaves, they covered themselves up with animal skins because they decided that they had to now look good to God. And see, God never really wanted us to have a knowledge of evil, but see also that we have this knowledge of good turns into one of the things that we're talking about today with these telling ourselves the truth is then what happens in my life, I'm sure it happens in your life, is that then we end up doing what Adam and Eve did. I've messed up. Oh, I didn't read my Bible enough. I need to read my Bible a little more. Then God's going to kind of approve of me a little bit more. How many of you guys have ever done that? Come on. I haven't spent time with God lately, so I'm just not sure if he's going to really help me through this financial time. I really need to buckle down. How many of you guys have ever thought like that? We all think like that because what happened is Adam and Eve, when they ate of the, of the tree, they knew evil and they also knew their own good. And God never intended it to be like that. Look at the next verse in Romans chapter 1. It says this, I am not ashamed, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, is, because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. Look at this, and I just put this kind of in bold here to make sure we could make this, make this point. For in, the, in a gospel, uh, uh, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. So we have, when we accept Christ, there's a righteousness that is revealed to us. You know, I was thinking about this this morning, that when David cried out to God and he said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I don't know how about, I don't know how, some of you may be that, what they call you second generation Christians now, where you grew up in church, and maybe you never really had this experience, the joy of your salvation. But think about it. Think about when you met Christ for real. And your life began to change. Do you remember the freedom you felt? I do. Do you remember how you just walked and you knew, gosh, God really loves me. And I remember it kind of freaked me out. You guys have heard me tell this story before about how I had a drinking problem. And the day that I accepted Christ, the moment I accepted Christ, that drinking problem ended just then. I always, say, I always say it like this. I felt like there was a monster that lived in me and it controlled me. And the, Jesus killed the monster that day. That's really what it felt like. But part of the reason why we have that restored me of that of the joy of my salvation is because we have the righteousness, grace, works, and faith, and mercy, all of that stuff hadn't been confused to us yet. Does that make sense? It's why it's easy for us to think about that time and how freeing it was. But look what else it says. So anyway, so when you accept Christ, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Think about it like this. 
You know, if you look in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, when it talks about um, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to, uh, they went for the census, Jesus ended up going into the temple, but it talks in there, it says that, that Jesus grew in three different ways. It says that Jesus grew in stature. It says he, so he obviously was a baby. He got taller. He grew into a man. So we all believe that, right? And then it says that he grew in wisdom and he grew in favor with man and with God. Think about that. It's, it's so easy for us to, to know and to, to be able to think about that Jesus was a baby and he grew into a man, but he also grew into, he grew in wisdom and he grew in favor with God and with man. And we also know that the Bible teaches us that he was man, but he was also the son of God. We know that he was tempted in every way that we were tempted. And I really believe that Jesus, as he was God and man, I believe Jesus had to take his identity on faith as well. He could have said, you know what, I'm not going, I'm just not going to the cross. I'm not doing it. We all know that. He could have been in the garden and said, this is more than I wanted to pay, so I'm not doing it. He had a choice. The Bible says in, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus chose to make himself empty. In the Greek, that means that Jesus chose to have, the Greek means, means he chose to have no reputation. Think about that. Think about that and think about how sometimes we feel like we have to kind of have a reputation. We want people to know us a certain way. But Jesus emptied himself that he would have no reputation. And I believe that Jesus took his identity and who he was on on faith. Um, I was watching a, a lot of stuff recently on Billy about Billy Graham, and I was watching some uh, different uh, YouTube videos and interviewed with Billy Graham, and I saw this. I'd encourage you to, to check it out. It was really powerful. But it was probably, I would say, maybe mid-'70s. And uh, how many, do you guys know, how many of you guys know who the Hollywood director, producer is? Woody Allen. You guys ever heard of Woody Allen? He's a short little Jewish guy. Um, um, how would we describe him, Michael? Just not uh, high morality, what would you say? And uh, but he's a short little Jewish guy, and he had, I guess, like a like a Oprah kind of talk show, and he's interviewing Billy Graham. And I thought, man, what a huge contrast! You've got this probably five foot five little Jewish guy, little weaselly, little wormy guy, and um, uh, <laughs> yeah, pervert. There you go. Yeah, he's he's uh, not not been too moral over the years, and. Um, and then you've got this six foot two evangelical and he's sitting down and he's asking Billy Graham questions. He says, he says, now, why do you think premarital sex is wrong? He said, don't, and he says, and he asked him, he says, don't you feel like it's kind of like you got to get your driver's permit before you get your license, before you drive the car? And Billy Graham, I love this. And I, I noticed this so much about him watching different interviews and Jesus, he, and, and he always brought it back to Jesus and the word of God. And he said, well, this is not what I, he said, this is not what I think is, this is what God says is right. And I want to show you this first point here. Look at the next one. I love what he said in this interview. He said, the law was created to lead us to a place of desperation. Man, how powerful is that? So many people in the world see how we live as it's, we've got to have these rules, we have all these rules, and you got to live a certain way. And, and they don't realize that the way that we live comes out of a relationship. And we're striving to do it right because we love him. Amen? But the law and the things that, that God has, how God has called us to live is stuff that may be difficult to achieve, 
but it's supposed to be because the law created was created to lead us to a place of desperation. And I love that. Let's look at the, uh, the next verse here. So the first point is that for the law was lead us to a place of, of, of desperation. Next, next verse here, Romans chapter 5. For if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, everybody say abundance of grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You know, the, 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 I also like that Paul teaches in Romans, he says that, that, um, if you could obtain God through the law, then Jesus died for nothing. And our righteousness, part of the thing about our righteousness and those, those, the, the four words that I was talking about, the, the grace, the righteousness, works, and holiness, where we tend to kind of get those things kind of muddied. And I love, like I said, I love talking about this because it's something that feeds me and I have to think about and feed myself all the time. And we've, I've talked about this here before, is righteousness is a fancy word for meaning that you have right standing with God. Because of Jesus Christ, and it's the gospel of righteousness, you and I always look good to God. And we don't have to be like Adam and Eve, where we have, feel like we have to create our own righteousness before we can approach him, or create our own righteousness and hide from him until we do it, until we get better, or until we do better. You always look good to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the next point, number two here. Your righteousness is not a process. If you've submitted your life to Christ, your righteousness has been completed in him. See, we tend to think that our righteousness is, well, I'm getting a little bit more righteous. I'm, I'm working on it. You're righteous. You're as righteous now as you were ever, ever will be. You're as righteous the day that you accepted Christ because of the blood of Christ as you ever will be. You're never going to look better to God because he's a God of mercy. And Isaiah, it says this, when in Isaiah 53, when the prophecy comes 600 years before Christ was crucified, if you, if you look at the verses in there, one of the verses says, it shows how he will die, that he'll, he will be, uh, he will take the whips for your sin, the stripes for your, for your, for your sickness, I mean, and that he will bear your sin. And then toward the end of the chapter says, and the Lord God was satisfied. Think about that. He was satisfied because he put everything on Jesus that we needed to take care of ourselves. Jesus took care of it for us. And so our righteousness is not a process. Our righteousness, we always look good to God. Let's look at the, um, there's a, a ministry I follow in Colorado Springs, and they did a survey. Uh, go to the next slide for me, Jared. They did a survey and they asked people, they said, give us, and they said it was thousands of people. Maybe they said tens of thousands of people. It's a huge ministry. But they asked people, they said, give us three, three descriptions or your definition of what grace is. And uh, I'll tell you some of, the, some of the answers. They have the top four answers that they got from people. But they really kind of varied. Go to the next slide there for me. Jared, to kind of show the answers, was they said that, that grace is salvation. Grace is a gift that you can't earn, which is true. And that it's a forgiveness of sins, and grace allows me to approach God. There's some truth in there, and there's some that's, once again, it's kind of the, the terms and everything gets a little bit muddy. I like to explain it like this, um, that a lot of times people say, well, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be in whatever situation, but really what they're talking about, that's really God's mercy. 
It's God's mercy that allows us to approach him. It's God's mercy that allows us to rely on him. And uh, in knowing that our righteousness is in Christ Jesus and we don't have to create it ourselves. But look at, look at this next, next, next point here. Is they had less than 2% describe God's grace as empowerment. And see, God's grace is all about power. When the word tells us in Ephesians that you've been saved through faith, think about that. You've been saved by, by faith because you hear the gospel and you go, you know what? I can't see it. I can't see Jesus. I know he's up. It sounds like he's up there. So you take it on faith, right? But the Bible says you, that you take your salvation on faith and through grace. So what does that mean? Grace is the power to step out of your old life into your new life. And that's where the power comes. Grace is empowerment. When we're dealing with things in our life that we feel like are bigger than us, that's when we rely on God's grace. We have got, we know that we're righteous. We always look good to God. We can't earn it. Our righteousness is not a process. And the power of grace is something that we need to acknowledge here. And then it happens here. And it helps us to step out of the stuff that we need to change in our lives. And we're all, we're all dealing with that. We're all becoming transformed, leaving the world and being transformed into the person that Jesus Christ wants us to be. A lot of times I'm out speaking to teenagers and I tell them this, the more that you get the, your, the, the junk out of your life, the more your life becomes less about you and more about him. The more that your prayer life becomes less about you, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for yourself, but the more that we can get ourselves fixed, the more that God can use us because we're fixed, we're healed, we're not having to focus on the junk that weighs us down. And don't get me wrong, we all have stuff that we're dealing with all the time. But grace is something that's powerful. Look at this verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. So keep me uh, so to keep me from from becoming conceited because of the uh, surpassing greatness of the revelations a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me. A lot of times you hear people talk all the time that Paul had a thorn in the flesh and it was it was a sickness. The Bible teaches us here, it's very, very blatant. It was not a sickness, but it was something that, that Satan had sent to harass him. And it says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient Sufficient. That means it's all you need. It's everything. The cup is full. There's nothing to be added. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I try to try to remind myself of that, and I try to remind other people of that when I'm talking to them or kind of giving them some biblical, you know, counseling or whatever, is that a lot of times when we feel like we're on our weakest place, we're really in the best. Because then we realize this really isn't anything about me. I can't fix it on my own. But in the time that we're the weakest is where we rely on him and the power of grace comes, comes in boldly. And that's how we get to be able to step out of our old life and into our new life. It says this, so, so my grace is, is sufficient. Um, 
for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I remember one time I looked up the, uh, some Greek definitions of the word perfect here, and it was talking about a flawless diamond or a flawless jewel. It was something that was totally pure and perfect. means that it is, it's, it's 100% perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Think about that. The power of Christ is resting upon us when we are in our weakest time, when we are in our most desperate times. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, a lot of times when when uh, I was just in uh, in Colorado for a business uh, business trip, and I met with some folks that um, I've known for many years that are believers, and and um, there's different places in the United States, but I know this has been happening in Colorado for a while, where there's just a really heavy duty grace message being preached, and so. Um, a friend of mine told me he went out to eat with a bunch of pastors, and he was the only one there that wasn't drinking like a margarita or drinking a beer or whatever. And I don't want to get into the whole controversy of Christians should have alcohol or not. But because so many times the alcohol is, it to me, it's, it's a sin if it's a heart issue. Because what was happening, with at least from what my friend told me, is that this wasn't a thing of, of, hey, I just like to have a beer, but it was, I'm so free in Christ, I can do this, I'm a pastor, and I'm doing it in front of all these people. See, that's a heart issue. Does that make sense? That's that's an issue of the heart, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to say if the person's sinning or not, but that's that's just not that's just not a good, I don't think it's a good attitude to have. I mean, look what the, the Word tells us. The Word tells us that that God, that he rejects the prideful and he promotes the humble. At least we know there's not a lot of humbleness in that. But anyway, so I don't want to get into the alcohol controversy. But a lot of times when the grace message is too heavy, then people feel like they have this freedom, quote, freedom in Christ. And then it's like almost all the rules come off. And then the quote, like I read from Billy Graham, that there's no desperate, there's nothing leading you to a desperate place where you need more of God. I was in a, when I lived in Los Angeles, they were on the Christian radio cha- uh, station. They were advertising this church was having this um, conference teaching people on the last days and what was going to happen in the book of Revelation. And, um, and man, if you think um, some Christian music movies have been cheesy in the last few years, which a lot of them nowadays really aren't. But uh, so my friends and I, we decided, hey, let's go in the Sunday night and let's hear this guy talk about, you know, the book of Revelation and teach and stuff. And we went in, and of course, we were dressed, you know, like church, church casual. And uh, but people there were pretty dressed up and we kind of got some looks a little bit because we were probably a little bit too underdressed for everybody. But we did, we just didn't think about it. And um, anyway, but they showed this <laughs> they showed this movie um, where. Um, this, you know, in Revelation, it talks about that, that people will cry for the mountains and the rocks to fall in them so that they won't have to see the face of God. And, and, and um, anyway, and they showed this, this movie where um, these people were standing in front of this fake little, um, like, rock little cliff thing. And they were, they were all praying and they were pleading for the rocks to fall on them. And then somebody obviously was up there with these, like, big, like, styrofoam spray-painted rocks, boulders, and they fell on them and they fell. And they, you know, and it was like, it was just so... It was, it, it's so funny. It's, I remember it. It was, but it was so cheesy. And, um, um, but anyway, and then the, the, 
the pastor of the church gets up and he starts showing some, uh, it's, uh, he actually has um, like a PowerPoint, or not even PowerPoint, it's real slides because a long time ago, it was a slideshow. And he was, um, they would show different pictures of Jesus and pictures that I had thought were normal looking Jesus. And every now and then he would say, well, I'm, I'm sorry for the slides that we're having to show today. We had to borrow these from, and he named the church they borrowed the slides from. And so he would go on teaching, and then they would show a picture, and there would be a picture of Jesus with his long hair and his long beard. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody, but we had to borrow these slides. And then I kept, we, I kept thinking, why is he apologizing for the slides or Jesus? So then he gets into their church's slides, and Jesus has a long beard, but he has a crew cut. Because the guys there couldn't grow long hair because it was a sin. So all their pictures of Jesus where he had a flat, he had a flat top, like he was in the military. And, um, but so many times when, 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 when the grace teaching is out of balance, we go from the, I've got all this freedom and I can just do this if I want to. And then you've got all this other stuff where everything is so uptight and it's by the rules that they're trying to either impress God by the rules or they're pulling out certain things out of scripture and it's not bringing people freedom at all. And that's one of the things we have to really be careful about with, with grace. Look at um, number th- point number three here, and we'll finish up in just a second. Grace allows us the opportunity as God's truth points the way. That's so good. That's so good. I had dinner um, a, f- a couple of months ago with Adam. If you know Adam, he's, he's been coming to the church here for two or three months. But I had dinner with Adam, and uh, and um and he told me some stuff about his life, and, and honestly, I'm not trying to put him on the spot here, but he really impressed me. And I came home and t- told Sue, and I said, "Man, we, you got to get to know Adam more. He's he's there's some good. He's a good guy. There's some good stuff there." And and uh, but one of the things, and I asked actually asked him if I could share this today, but he shared a story with me about his parents having some really serious trouble in their marriage, and um, and there was some stuff that happened, and it was things were looking really bad about them maybe being able to keep their marriage together. And one of the things that impressed me about Adam was he was in college, and they were taking him to the certain spot where he was carpooling back to, to, to college with some people, and he was telling me about where he was and what was going on. And he asked his parents. He got really bold, and he asked his parents some really bold, tough questions. And I was like, well, that alone is is, is pretty pretty awesome. And uh, And then what he did was he got back to college, and he asked his friends, he goes, if God doesn't intervene here, I don't know if my parents are going to be able to stay together or not. And so he said, will you fast and pray with me? So he got his friends to start fasting and praying for his parents. Anyway, just miracles happened with their marriage. But one of the things that um, was so cool when he told me this, and I've thought about it so many times, is he said, my dad talks about this now, and there's no shame at all about what happened, because that's not who my dad is anymore. He said, my, dad's, my dad, is, is, he's not that person. That's the old guy, and this is, this is the new guy. And that's the way that the power of grace is. That, and how cool is it? Not that we all want to stand up in front of churches and stuff and share our dirtiest laundry, but how cool is it that, one, that Adam took the initiative to speak boldly and to pray and to really take some authority as the, as the son of the parents, but how cool is it that a miracle happened? And he says, yeah, this, that's not even my dad anymore. That's the true power of grace. God allows us the opportunity, and God's truth points the way. Let's go to the next slides here, and we'll finish up. 
So let's talk about this, kind of, kind of go through this a little bit more. Righteousness has already been provided. Grace gives us the divine, what does divine mean? Divine means directly from heaven to earth. Gives us the divine power to change. Works, our works don't impress God. The Bible tells us our works are like filthy rags. I'd like to, I always told young, young people in my youth group this, I said, your works were never meant to impress God, but they were meant to impress people. Think about that. You go out to eat, and you get a good server, and you're really nice, and it's Sunday, and you leave a good tip. Guess what? And they probably saw you pray before you eat. <laughs> so our works don't impress God, but they don't impress people. And then the last thing is holiness is proof of a transformation. And see, holiness, where, where the Bible tells us to be holy, that's where we take action. That's where we make some moves in our life. Let's look at a couple of verses here. In 2 Timothy, it says this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering of, of, for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. See, when God calls us with a holy calling, there's purpose behind it, but there's also the grace to help us fulfill it. God, you know, there's so many times, you know, you hear people saying, man, I just really want to submit to God, but what if he makes me be a missionary? You know what? If you don't have that stirring in your heart, you're not going to be a missionary because it would be something that's, that God already slowly does that in you. I remember um, I lived in Knoxville in the 80s, and I moved away and then, and then moved back. But I remember driving down I-40 West, and I remember praying on my way to and from work and saying, God, please don't ever make me do ministry full time. Uh, and then I would joke with people and say, I don't want to take the pay cut. Um, James is the only one that knows about that, so he thought that was funny. Um, but anyway, but God did a work in me that I would that I would lay down my career, not because I didn't want to serve him, but he 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 helped me to work through that. He gave me the he put a calling on my life and then gave me a purpose and gave me the grace to walk through it. Then the rest of this verse says this, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Look at the next verse. First Peter says this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Um, I like sharing this because I always thought that this sober-minded mean, well, don't be drunk. You know, don't get, don't get drunk, and, and prepare your mind for action. But it means this. It means to be void of speculative imagination. I've talked about this before about the power of how God will ignite your uh, your your spirit and and. and the Bible says in Ephesians 3 that he will do more than you can think or imagine. It means don't let your mind just wander off and wander off and wander off, but try to stay focused on the task and the purpose and the calling that you have. And it says this, and set your, your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he gives you a revelation of where you're headed and where you're going, he'll give you the purpose, he'll give you the calling, and then he will give you the grace to be able to fulfill it. Look at the next verse here. It goes on and it says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So many times, I, I, I shouldn't say so many times, but some of the people I know that, that have this heavy grace message where they feel like now they have this freedom where they can do some things that they normally would not have done. Um, are some things that they're doing because, and I believe that they're kind of going back to some former ignorance. They're feeding their flesh on some stuff that is really, like I said, it's more, it's so much of a heart issue than it is an that the, that the action is sinful. Does that make sense? Um, it says, 
but as he who called us is holy and, and also be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See our, our, the holiness comes by the actions that we have and the actions that we take really come from our relationship with him. And here's the last point. Number four, I want to talk to you about the two, two types of holiness. You know, when I met Christ as my savior, there were some things that instantly changed in me. Of course, the alcohol thing was instantly changed, but there were things in my heart that changed. I stopped swearing. Why is it that people that a lot of times when they accept Christ, they get rid of all their secular music? Why is that? Because there's something going on with them. There's, a, there's an actions of holiness that they are, they're really wanting to get rid of their old life and to pursue their new life. And I'm not saying that, once again, that, that even secular music is bad. I'm, I'm not getting into that. But what I'm saying is that when we accept Christ and there's things that happen to us and there's changes in our heart, that there's things that the actions take place out of the thing. I like to explain it like this, that if, um, you're a, a family and you adopt someone into your family and they're officially adopted and they know that you love them, there's things that start to change in their life just because you love them. It cha- holiness comes out of a relationship. But there's two kinds of holiness. There's one that comes out of that position of where you are, that we are adopted, that we're one of God's kids. That causes us to take some action where our action, we, can, we change our behavior not to try to impress him, but we do it because we love him. The, I think the other type of holiness is, is uh, similar to when in, in some of you that... Um, uh, well, it should be all of you that are married it would, it would be able to relate to this. When, I'm, when Susan and I got married, the, some of the things that we did in our lives, it changed. Not because it was sinful, but when you, hopefully when you get married, man, you stop checking out other women. And I'm not saying that you can't, you know, you're at the mall, wow, she's really pretty. I'm not talking about, you know, lustfully stuff. But things change in your life because you have a relationship with your wife. When Susan and I, Susan and I got married, Susan does I like to cook. Susan doesn't like cilantro. I quit using cilantro all the time. <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I, um, I admire plants and flowers, and I can go to the zoo or the botanical garden and go, oh, that, I think that's a rose, that's a dandelion. I knew nothing about plants. But Susan loves plants, so what have we been doing for the last few days? We go outside, the, 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 one of the, our grandkids said, our, our yard looks like a graveyard. We have, like, we have little Rubbermaid bins on top of all the plants. There's like, what, maybe 25 of them out there. So I'm out there in the morning, I'm taking them off, and I'm putting rocks on them, covering them up so they don't freeze. I could care less about flowers and plants other than I think they look nice. But Susan, that's important to Susan. So I've changed something, and, and what's important to me, what's been, become important to me is because it's important to her. Not taking care of plants or caring about plants was never sinful, but the, the holiness or the actions that we take happen out of relationships. When Susan and I got married, I have two dogs, um, and I will tell you this, if you ever hear on the news, two dogs accidentally hit with a lawnmower in North Knoxville, I will guarantee you it will not be an accident. <laughs> I have two dogs. I used to have two cats. I uh, want to... S- yeah, Susan, one of Susan's friends came to her house and said, Susan, I didn't know you were a cat lover. She said, I wasn't until I met Rick's dogs. Um, so, 
so, and also one of the cats decided to eat, you know, he would lick butter out of the dish on the counter. And, you know, anyway, so he, he, he went to the big litter box in the sky by, by accident. But anyway, so, but pets in the house is not a big thing for Susan. So we, so things happen and things change because I love her. And so actions happen and should happen with us out of our relationship with Jesus. We become more holy and I've talked about this here before, the word holy means to become uncommon. When you work with a bunch of people that are sinners and, you know, they're, you know, uh, doing all kinds of crazy stuff that the world does, but they notice you don't, that makes you uncommon. And it doesn't mean you have to stand up and say, hey, well, I'm, I don't do this because I'm holy. Um, but, let, but when you let those actions speak out of, uh, your actions speak out of you being uncommon and you being holy, makes a big difference. But holiness comes out of that relationship. Let's look at the last verse, and then this will be it. Ephesians 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for for good works, for uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word workmanship here, there's a Greek word. I don't have it with me. I can't tell you what it is, but I looked it up a while back. But the the word workmanship, is it's the Greek word that means a piece of artwork or a poem that is being created. Think about that. Think about that. Bruce, would you come up for a second? Play something sweet for us. But think about that. That we are his workmanship. We have the power of grace to change our lives. Our righteousness has already been created for us. Our works don't impress him. But the holiness and the things, the actions that we need to take, the things in our life that need to change, those things change out of our relationship with him. And as we go deeper with him, those things continue to change. And it's like God is working on TC and Jared and Michael and Angela. He's working on all of us as a piece of artwork. We are his workmanship and he's working in us. And that's so awesome for us. We know we have the power to change, and he's full of mercy to help us walk it out. Will you stand up with me, and let's have a word of prayer. (coughs) Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word here with everybody this morning.